All right, it's February 10th, 2022, and we're ready to begin another planning board meeting, uh, starting with the consent agenda. Could I get a motion on adoption of the resolutions? Uh, so moved, Jerry Sushi. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Those are approved. The record plat? Uh, move approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That is approved. The Wheaton Gateway sketch plan extension request? I'll second. Okay. Uh, move approval. For approval. Yeah, second. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Whatever you want. Usually the motion has to come before yeah, the first. second. But yeah. I'm so um, used to Jerry. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That is approved. The, the Ramos property uh, extension request? Move uh, for approval. Uh, second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Uh, that's approved. And Carol's microphone is doing something really strange. It's flashing. Let's know if it's on or not. I don't think it's on. Oh, so you know what? Now Try. It's oh, now it's oh, I think it has to do with the button that I. Okay, but to clarify the record, I've made several mo uh, seconds and I've approved all of the motions. Yeah. All those votes were unanimous. Uh, what did we just do? Ramos property? Yes. Right. Um, okay, Milestone Innovation Center Preliminary Plan Amendment and Site Plan Amendment Extension Request. Move for approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That is approved. Uh, the Bogelstone Discovery Extension Request. Move for approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That is approved. The minutes from January 6th, 13th, and 20th. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Those are approved. And that brings us to the park director's report. And we have Mike Riley here live and in person. Good morning, planning board. It's good to be uh, with you uh, physically in the room this morning. Uh, I have a very brief uh, report for you tomorrow, uh, this morning. I don't have any slides to show, so it just will be a verbal report this morning. I want to start uh, with uh, last week you said uh, farewell to Deputy Director John Nissel, who was moving on to become the County Administrator of Jefferson County, West Virginia. So we're very sad to lose John, a person of that talent and uh, caliber, but we're very proud that he is moving up to be a, a County Administrator. We're having a party for him uh, tomorrow afternoon, a retirement party at Dogfish Ale House in Gaithersburg from four to six. I hope you got word about that and you certainly uh, would be uh, wonderful if you could uh, join us to say one final uh, farewell to Deputy Director John Nissel. Second item I wanna talk about, we're in the throes of the uh, capital improvements budget in the county and the county council just had uh, three public hearings over the last two days. They heard from 72 uh, people testifying about what's important to them in the CIP, and I'm proud to say that uh, 39 of those 72 people who testified spoke in favor of the parks. Uh, that's a little bit more than half of the people that talked about uh, anything in the CIP. They could talk about schools or transportation or uh, anything they wanted to talk about testified in uh, favor of supporting the full funding for the planning board's requested budget. And I, I just wanna give a little background about that. Uh, building our advocacy has been an effort going on 
since I became uh, director. And ge the, generally the gist of it is when uh, groups or individuals come to us and they say, either they might say they're dissatisfied with some aspect of our service delivery or they might say they're satisfied but they want more of something, they want more programs, they want more facilities. Of course, we are as responsive as we can with the resources we have, but we then say, hey, you know, the resources uh, that we get are determined finally by the county council. So if you really are passionate about some aspect of uh, what we deliver, whether it's uh, uh, a better environment or it's uh, expansion of the trail system or it's higher quality ball fields or it's Brookside Gardens, I could go on and on. We say to them, we will do the best we can to deliver for you, but you have to go tell the county council that this is important to you. And we ask them in that messaging, not just to talk about the, perhaps their own unique interest in the park system, but to become an advocate for the park system as a whole. And people have generally bought into that uh, message and the number of people who testify every year has grown. Uh, I didn't imagine it would grow to this extent where more than half the people who testified would be park advocates, but uh, I, I, I know the council listened and at the end, uh, Council President Albernos uh, acknowledged along with uh, Parks Lead uh, uh, Council Member Friedson, they certainly acknowledged that what they heard was strong support for the park system. So that's good news, but uh, the important thing is we'll see what comes out at the end in May, but I'm optimistic that we will get uh, some restoration of the um, $19 million affordability PDF that came out in the county executive's budget that reduced the request you sent to Rockville. Just some events and items going on. Uh, the chair and I do get monthly briefings from our park activation team. They are now almost fully staffed up, so you're gonna start seeing more, even more new and exciting events coming out. Uh, the latest program that's um, uh, coming up is called Acoustics and Ales, where we're going to be out in the parks having a winter happy hour series with music, food trucks, uh, outdoor games. Um, there is uh, four of them on the books right now, uh, one this Friday at uh, Germantown Center Urban Park. Uh, these, these events are all 5 to 7.30 p.m. They're, they're, uh, they're free. Uh, and then on February 24th at Elm Street Park, February 25th at Aurora Hills Park in Clarksburg, and then uh, on March 4th at Acorn Urban Park uh, in uh, Silver Spring. We just put out a press release on this. All these uh, details can be found on our website, and it's uh, uh, we're getting lucky because the first one this Friday, the weather for February looks great. It's going to be almost 60 degrees on Friday, so it should be a beautiful evening in February to be outdoors listening to some good music and uh, if you ch so choose, uh, drinking one of our local craft beers. Uh, we have our annual Gre Green State Scapes Symposium coming up on February 18th. Um, this year's theme is called Advancing the Natural Landscaping in a Modern World. Uh, this is a program where we bring in uh, world-renowned uh, experts from around the world to speak on uh, all matters that are green, and this year's program is uh, as exciting as ever. Uh, I do want to announce for any members of the public uh, listening that registration for our spring and summer camps is about to open. These are very important dates to know if you have kids that you want in a great uh, camp. So registration opens uh, Monday, um, February 14th. 
um, for the uh, spring camps, and then on Tuesday, I should say the winter and spring camps, and then on Tuesday, February 22nd for the summer camps. And again, all easily found on uh, our website, montgomeryparks.org, right on the front page. Uh, as you know, it's Black History Month, and the Parks and Planning Department have a series of uh, great programs going on, both internally for our staff and externally for citizens. Um, again, uh, all of this is very well detailed on our uh, website for those uh, events that are open to the public. And the last very exciting thing I want to announce is, as you know, we have a park uh, speaker series. I will give credit to uh, Planning Director Gwen Wright for uh, motivating me by beginning a planning uh, speaker series, so we had to follow suit with a park uh, series, and we have a great program coming up called um, uh, the idea of reimagining uh, public spaces. And we have uh, some really, really good speakers. I'm uh, excited about this program, and it is right around the corner on uh, February 15th, 2022, from 1 to 2. And uh, these are open to the uh, these are open to the public. This uh, will be an online session, so we don't have any limitation on uh, participation. And we have uh, again a great panel to speak about something that's very important to both parks and planning. And that's it for me. I'm happy to take any questions. I have. Um, I just have a question on the camp signups. Um, is that being handled um, kind of jointly with like they do with permits? where somebody doesn't have to distinguish between whether it's a parks camp or a county camp, and they can just, it, it, it's kind of a, a single yes. process. Okay, thank you. Yes, it's active Montgomery, and that we will, um, currently, it's, it is a, 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 a vendor or software we use called Active Montgomery. We're actually going live on February 14th with a transition to a much uh, new and improved system uh, called Vermont Systems. Uh, that should be seamless to the public. Instructions are going out about anything the public needs to know about that uh, transition. Uh, but uh, yes, it, it is really seamless. You do not need to know whether it's a recreation program or a parks program, whether who does skating, who does pools is all transparent to the public. Okay, thanks for that report. I, I wanted to mention um, not only that I think the Parks Department staff have done a great job at, um, you know, building support that people, you know, people want to support the programs and facilities because they value them, but also doing a great job at getting the word out that, as you said, if, if this is something you want, you really need to let the decision makers who are in control of the budget know about it. But um, I think that uh, lest anybody draw the conclusion that this is all about PR, um, we did a survey for the pros plan that we've got uh, underway that asked people uh, all over the county, it's a, r a randomized mail-in survey, <clears throat> which uh, what are the most important things that make for a great place to live. And uh, Montgomery County residents said number one is safety. Uh, you know feeling that you're safe from crime and other uh, hazards. Uh, but tied for a second were uh, high-quality public schools and great uh, parks and recreation. And uh, I think that that's reflected in the, in, it's actually a pretty close match to the 
priorities that you would see at that county council area. There's a lot of people speaking up for schools, <clears throat> but also a huge number of people speaking up for parks because uh, those are really important things that the public recognizes uh, related to the capital budget. You know, public safety is really more of an operations, you know, personnel uh, issue. But as far as capital spending, I think it's widely recognized that schools and parks are, are really two of the basic building blocks of what makes a great place to, to live. Certainly, a lot of people in Montgomery County seem to think so. Uh, okay, if there are no other comments or questions, we can uh, thank Mike for that report and turn to item three, which is this 10 post office road conditional use. Okay, we are now ready for 10 post office road conditional use. Uh, and I think we have Parker Smith here to summarize the staff report. Yes, hi. Uh, good morning. Uh, for the record, Parker Smith, Mid County Planning Division. This is conditional use application CU 2022-06, 10 post office road, also known as Cozy Cats. Uh, Cozy Cats is a Montgomery County-based cats-only veterinary practice that will be moving into 4,000 square feet of commercial space in a historic building known as the Castle, the facade of which may be seen here on the screen. The proposed conditional use is for an animal boarding and care facility, which is allowed as a conditional use in the NR zone. Staff is recommending approval of the conditional use and transmittal of comments to the hearing examiner. The subject property is located in the Forest Glen neighborhood of Silver Spring. The staff defined neighborhood delineated in yellow on this slide 
consists of a commercial node at the crossroads of Forest Glen Road, Seminary Road, and Capitol View Avenue. The neighborhood is bounded to the south by the Capitol Bellway, to the west by CSX train tracks, and to the north and east by the residential areas of Forest Glen. Here you see a zoning map of the property and its surroundings with the subject property outlined in green and the staff defined neighborhood outlined in red. The subject property currently contains 12,100 square feet of commercial space in the building known as the castle. The property has a new has a surface parking lot with 48 spaces at the north of the site, which provides adequate parking for the new use. The proposed use will be a cats only animal care and boarding center. As a cats only animal boarding center, the use will not require or include any outdoor relief area. A maximum of four staff will be on site at any one time, and there are no physical changes proposed to the exterior of the property, which is again shown here. Proposed animal boarding and care facility use conforms to all applicable requirements for approval of an animal boarding and care facility under section 3.5.1B and section 731 of the zoning ordinance. It also conforms to all applicable development standards under the NR zone and is consistent with the capital view and vicinity sector plan. Staff recommends approval of conditional use CU2206 with the included conditions and transmittal of the board's recommendation to the hearing examiner. I can take any questions at this time. Um, before, we, well, unless anybody has any questions right away, we might see if the applicant has anything to add. Is that Good morning. For the record, uh, uh, for the record, Jody Klein uh, speaking on behalf of the applicants. Um, Mr. Uh, Smith's staff report was very thorough, and his presentation to you was equally thorough. Um, and the applicant has no comments on the staff report. All the conditions are acceptable to the applicant, and we're just available to answer any questions you have, particularly for those of you who are cat fanciers. <laughs> Well, I did bring my dog to work today, but that's um, <laughs> that's okay. We we won't take that personally. Um, are there any uh, comments or questions for the staff or the uh, applicant? Hearing none, could we get a motion on the um, uh, recommendation to the hearing examiner? Uh, Jerry Sishi, so moved. And I'll second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That is approved. Thanks very much. Thank you very much.
Okay, we're ready for item four, Planning Board Rules of Procedure. Uh, we've had these in the works for quite a while, but um, as I'm sure many of you know, we got a memo from the County Council President uh, about a week ago that touches on some of the issues that are addressed in these rules, so this is a good time to uh, look at those uh, issues as well as uh, just generally updating our uh, rules of procedure, I think, to in general to more closely reflect the way that uh, the planning board meetings actually have been run for many years, but uh, the rules have really never been adjusted uh, accordingly. So um, to take us through that, we have Emily Bias. Good morning. Um, for the record, Emily Bias with the Office of General Counsel. And um, yes, we have been working on these for a bit. I have to say um, this week is my one year anniversary with the commission. Hard to believe a year has gone by. Um, and we almost started these as soon as I got in my seat. So um, we have been working, um, as the chair said, to more align the rules with what the board does um, and current practice. They're, they were last updated in 2007. Um, so it's time to do that. Um, so the rules, we are changing them, I said, to align more with, with how we practice, but many of the basic elements, of course, with regard to hearings and the agenda remain the same. They're, we're just trying to restructure and clarify so that it's absolutely clear um, how they operate. Um, for instance, for regulatory items, um, mailed notice of all applications have always and will continue to go um, to the abutting and confronting property owners, homeowners, condominium associations, civic and community associations that are within a half mile, and to others who have requested to receive notice of all applications. So that happens within the first days after um, an application is accepted. And then there is notice also mailed again to that same group of folks and associations 10 days before a hearing occurs. Um, there's publication of the agenda on the website with items as well. Generally, we have two weeks of agendas posted. And for all of these items that require public hearing, there's an opportunity for the public to speak and present evidence, cross-examination, and rebuttal. And that has always been the case and will continue to be the case. And staff reports also are posted 10 days before the hearings. So those basic concepts of how the board operates and the public's participation um, would not change. A draft, just so the concept of what um, the agenda we're proposing could look like, would um, clarify again that part of the consent agenda, which has a public hearing portion to it, um, would be separated out for procedural matters, which would be minutes, resolutions, and extensions, um, which are handled by the board um, without comment and then summary hearing matters which would be handled by the board um, and if a person wanted to speak on any of those items they would just ask to do so and then they would be heard. Um, if there is no opposition, actually not even opposition, could be support, but if there was any request for someone to speak on a matter it would be moved to a regular agenda and then the regular agenda items. So we did clarify the scope of the rules to handle the quasi-judicial matters that the board deals with. So these are applications for project plan amendments, sketch plans, site plans, preliminary plans, as well as conditional use and variance. We don't 
healthcare variances so much, but local map amendments, um, those are all covered by the rules. The things that are not covered um, are generally studies, reports, and analyses um, that aren't really part of a regulatory process, um, as well as parks department facilities and operations, uh, mandatory referral matters because they have their own set of uniform standards for mandatory review, which as an aside, we'll be bringing those guidelines to you hopefully in the next um, month or two, um, and that alleged violations now also have their own set of enforcement rules. So they too are not covered under these rules. Um, and personnel practices, procurement, other types of things that are not covered. Um, but then what is still covered, of course, is the board still subject and staff to conflicts of interest and ethics rules, which for all items. And with regard to things that are not listed as specific applications, so that would be master plans, sector plans, sectional map amendments, and other quasi-legislative type of items. They generally have their own set of rules that are covered in zoning ordinance and the procedures that have to be covered by them. So you could use these rules to help be a guide for those items, but they generally have their own set statutory processes. So the applications I've just highlighted that we clarified again, and now there is an administrative subdivision um, process which didn't exist in 2007, so that's now been added to the type of application that would be followed following these rules, and we've clarified that the conditional use and local map amendments would also follow these rules. The consent agenda, again, as we have um, shown it here, is would have two sections to it, procedural matters, and then summary hearing matters, which would generally be amendments to regulatory matters that could be taken up by the board for a vote if there's been no opposition or no one has requested to speak, or if a board member wanted to remove it from the summary hearing matter, it would be moved to have a full hearing. Otherwise, it could be decided on the record, which would include the staff report. Um, this again was the new definitions defining what the procedural matters would cover that would be under the consent agenda and then the summary hearing matters which would be public hearings that would be based on the record that is before the board because no one has requested to testify or submit evidence or to speak. And again, the Items that are on the consent agenda are still noticed uh, 10 days before the board. They're posted on the site, but they are also, more importantly, mailed. So anyone who received notice of the original, if say it were a site plan um, amendment, everyone who received notice of the original site plan would also get notice of an amendment that might be proposed to be put on the summary hearing calendar, which would be part of the consent agenda. And it would note, it notes on the Notice that if they would like to speak on the matter, they just need to let the chair's office know the same way they sign up for other items, and then it would be removed to a full hearing. And for procedural matters, the board is the only one that can remove a matter from the consent agenda, which we're now calling procedural matters for those items only, which again would be minutes or resolutions. Public hearing, we've defined to make sure we cover the summary hearing, which is part of the consent agenda, and then the full hearing, which would be part of the regular agenda. And the important part, again, is that the public has a chance 
to speak and to present evidence um, on either of these matters. And the regular agenda would be everything that's not part of the consent agenda. And the process for removing something from a summary hearing matter, um, we have tried to make this um, easier than it is today so that um, if anyone wants to sign up, they can do so on the same sign-up page where they sign up for all items. And if someone does sign up for that, it would be the same procedure as it is for full hearing applications. It would be by 12 noon the day before, which is, of course, Wednesday afternoons in most instances. Um, and they would simply sign up to speak, and um, the matter would have a full hearing. Um, the full hearing would either occur that same day, um, depending on the board schedule, or it could be um, the following week, again, depending on schedule. The additional items that we tried to clarify within the rules and um, to expand upon just to be clear is with regard to ex parte communications. Um, we just clarified again that everyone needs to understand that they have the same um, opportunity to be heard and to know what the board is considering for all of these regulatory matters, which are subject to the ex parte rules, which means the board has to consider them on the record. And so we've clar clarified that language and made sure that it's clear that if um, a board member is approached or receives communications, that they are to reveal that when the matter comes up to the board. <clears throat> and again, um, the part of the ex parte language, and some of this was just reorganization and trying to conserve um, space and words where we could, um, but again, the board is not allowed to communicate regarding any regulatory matter that's subject to the rules, and if they do, they must disclose that on the record. The public, of course, is welcome to testify on uh, matters before the board that are subject to a public hearing, and that, again, needs to happen um, at noon, the day before. This is sort of a practice that the board has adopted uh, since COVID, and it, I think, has proven to be very efficient to allow the board to schedule their meetings. So it may continue, I believe, even after COVID, and we are back in person and are hybrid, um, that 12 noon on the day before the uh, meetings, um, people should sign up to speak um, and present any evidence that they may have or testimony that they want to submit. And so we've added that to the rules. The prior rules, and here I did put, tried to put a red line here, and I know there was some comments about um, not posting um, the changes, and part of that is just technical. Um, and you can see this didn't turn out very well. But um, what I was trying to show is that the previous rules had specific timelines for different um, groups to speak, individuals versus applicants um, versus others. And the process has been generally that um, the chair allows most folks to speak um, without time limits at this point. And so we have modified these rules, taken out the specific timelines, and left it to the chair's discretion with regard to how long um, folks may speak, but that there would be guidelines posted um, on the website as well as outside of the boardroom so that people have an idea of the timing. 
We have also added uh, that when people are speaking and testifying um, and submitting evidence that they're doing so under oath and essentially that they're telling the truth and the whole truth. Um, and in order to facilitate this process, um, as is done in some other places like the District of Columbia BZA um, and other places, uh, when you sign up to speak, um, there will be a line that would say that you're swearing to tell the truth. Um, so that we will have that um, as one of the elements of the public hearing process to be assured that people are being truthful, um, but it should just be part of sign up. We have also identified, well just clarified again, postponement and continuance. They're both listed. There's often confusion, which one, what does it happen? Um, so we've just made postponement would be prior to the start of a hearing um, if you wish to postpone and a continuance would be if a hearing is started and then there's a request to delay for some reason. We've added language just to clarify that because some of the items we've included as an application are now conditional uses and local map amendments in which we don't pass a resolution but we do make a recommendation that is then sent to another agency to make a final decision. So we've added that into the types of decisions that the board can make. And we have also added that if the board makes a motion to deny an application, that they have to state the reasons for that denial. Um, the closing of the record, we simply added um, the phrase at the end, except as may be needed to clarify the record, um, simply because sometimes even within the same hearing, um, we need to go back and just clarify a certain commissioner voted this way or that way, um, and that's all that is intended to cover. Um, and board resolutions, again, can be adopted at the same time as the public hearing, or um, in, I would say, most instances, they're adopted a week or two after the public hearing, and we've just clarified that. And lastly, for uh, correcting errors in a resolution, um, this is permitted, of course, when there is an error, but there was some difference between the new subdivision regulations and, and, the op and how things were operating with regard to does a corrected resolution start a new appeal period, does it start a new validity date, and the mo recently adopted subdivision regulations make clear that it does not start a new date for validity or for appeal periods. So we have taken that same approach here so that all resolutions, if they're just a corrected resolution, will not restart any of those dates. In the majority vote section, we have added language about a tie um, vote. Should there be a tie vote, then we are making clear that because in most instances the applicant has the burden of proof that a project would be deemed denied if in fact um, we had a tie vote. Um, there's one exception to this which is in the land use article for record plats if there is no denial um, then it is deemed approved. So a tie vote on a record plat which generally um, we don't have separate votes oftentimes on record plats but if there were and it were a tie it would be deemed approved after 30 days. And then this page was just to show how we have already modified our sign-up page 
to make it easier for folks to sign up for things that may be on the consent agenda. And you can see here the top line item is a consent agenda record plat item. So to the extent that someone wanted to sign up to speak on that item, they could do it on the same page as is they would sign up for everything else. And I believe that's it. Actually, I have a clarification question. Um, sure. The, um, the issue of, of um, ex parte communications, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, so this is kind of, you know, we have, it says in the rules that we need to disclose if we've had uh, any um, independent uh, communications. And I find that often um, I'm, uh, and I assume all the other commissioners are receiving correspondence on a matter that is not yet before the board and has been uh, per perhaps it was notice of an of an acceptance or something of that matter and I've tried to forward that to the uh, to the staff don't always know who the staff person is that will be handling the matter but so that it gets into the record but if that's the case um, you know I can't uh, I don't know whether I'm gonna remember for example to disclose on the record that I received correspondence before um, and so I would like a clarification that if that <coughs> if it's before the posting, because as board members we don't receive the um, staff report until it's actually posted to the public. If any any correspondence received, as long as it's forwarded to the staff, that that we don't need to necessarily disclose that on the record. Yeah, I th I think, um, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I think, uh, and you can correct me if you think I'm off track here, but. I think our practice has been uh, to send it to MCP chair, that address. So if you know who the staff person is, you know, or the area two division chief, if it's an area two or whatever, and also send it to MCP chair, then that MCP chair, ad chair is the address for intake for all kinds of, you know, material that then gets routed to the appropriate people. So then if you send it there, it will be put into the, it'll be routed to the right staff person and put into the record for that case. And I think in that event, you won't need to say on the record that you got that communication because it'll be in the file and it'll be effectively part of the written record. But do you have a different view, Emily? No, that's correct. And it ideally, again, would show it was from you. So if you forwarded it, there would be an email trail that would show that's where it came from as well. So. Um, I think, okay. yes, that would be the appropriate so we, thing. So we should do. just make sure, obviously, that either it was addressed to MCP chair also, or if not, forward it along if we've to received it directly. Correct. If you okay. receive it. Yeah, I would say when in doubt, send it to MCP chair. Sure. If you're not sure who the staff person is, that way it'll definitely get into the record. Right. And, and I guess. Okay. Yeah, I thought I'd. Uh, you know, a telephone conversation or in-person conversation is one thing, but sometimes we get these mass emails on a particular topic. Uh, it might be 10 or 20 people commenting on that, on something coming up. Uh, does that need to be disclosed or pretty much they copy in the whole board or and maybe some staff? I mean, if you receive something, the safest thing to do is to just send it to MCP chair. I mean, presumably, again, what you're describing sounds like it may have already gone to the chair or to other board yeah. members. Um, but if it is in relation to a pending case, then you should just forward it anyway to the chair's office. And okay. that way, it'll be in the record. All right. All right. Thank you. 
Um, and before, if there's no more, I did, we did receive a letter, and I just wanted to address some of the comments in that letter. Um, uh, with first was um, with regard to my technical challenge with regard to making a red line or some other way to track the changes, and I can just um, apologize for that. Um, and uh, we will try to be better and uh, the other rules we're working on. Um, there was a prior requirement that the director was supposed, to, with regard to ex parte communications, was supposed to publish a list of all pending applications. And we, um, in talking with staff, it seems that there isn't, the information is all online and it is all available, and we don't believe that a publication of that sort is necessary um, with regard to what's happening, um, and that the board has always been aware um, if anyone approaches you about a potential case that you would disclose that. Um, there was a question with regard to attendance and whether the chair could exclude a member from voting, and we don't believe um, that that would actually be a good idea. Um, I think if a person needs to be recused, they make that determination and they disclose that on the record. Um, but there, we would not want, I don't think, a situation where the chair could um, exclude someone from voting. So um, we, we don't agree with that comment. Um, and there was a comment with regard to the consent agenda and how we're handling that, but I think um, I went through that already, that um, we believe that there is sufficient ability for the public to participate even in consent agenda items. Um, and a question or a comment about including other matters that are not regulatory matters. And again, we have expressly decided that we just want the regulatory matters covered here and that other matters are covered by other rules or other statutes with regard to timing. Um, and lastly, a comment about when changes are made to the agenda that it be noted as to when they were changed. And I believe that when we do make changes to the agenda, um, once it's been posted, it is shown um, on there with cross out. And then there's a revision date at the top of the agenda page. So I think um, that's a good comment, and I, but I do think we cover that um, the way that we post and revise the agendas. So that's all. Okay, we had a few people who are signed up to speak, uh, starting with uh, Carolyn Taylor. Is Carolyn Taylor there? Yes, I am. I'm trying to get the camera on, and it is not cooperating. Take your, take um, your time. Have... Okay, click, click, click. Good morning. Hello. We don't. Hello, can you? Oh, um, you... yeah, it looks like you're coming on, but not quite there yet. All right, let me see if I can do this. Are you hearing me at least? We hear you, yeah, but we see Laura Stewart. Okay, Laura. Yeah, I get my camera to turn on for some reason, but as long as you can hear me, then that'll have to suffice. And now I wish I just stayed in my pajamas, but anyway, good morning. Good <laughs> I'm morning. Caroline Taylor. Yes, we hear you very clearly. So you're definitely, that's, that's not a problem. Okay, terrific. Hopefully I'm not blasting too loud. Um, I'm Caroline Taylor testifying on behalf of Montgomery Countryside Alliance, and I appreciate this conversation um, and also appreciate the staff work, which as I gather from um, hearing from them has been ongoing for at least a year. 
However, notwithstanding um, staff apologies for the inability to really present the public with um, a clear uh, idea in advance of this meeting what the changes, uh, what the revisions are to the proposed or to the um, rules of procedure. Um, you know, this is supposed to at least in part be dealing with uh, transparency issues and the lack of transparency in the public understanding what these changes are is troubling. Um, staff um, uh, helped me out by pointing out uh, a piece of correspondence that you had received from uh, Dedun Ingram. Um, I um, would like to note that uh, the one item that staff uh, disagreed with, I think there was a misunderstanding with regard to the item number three, uh, attendance requirements and when the chair or others could exclude um, a, a um, member from voting on an issue. I, I, that did come up. Um, I believe there was a planning board member that was excluded from voting. And without clear guidance in the rules of procedure, um, I think that that uh, is problematic. So I would ask that you all revisit um, that particular issue with a mind towards making it clear when such a thing can happen uh, or not. Um, since the other items have been addressed, I would simply say that um, uh, it would be appropriate for the public to have more clear idea what these changes are before um, these are implemented or finalized. And um, I appreciate the time to provide this comment. Thank you. Thank you. Um, on this question, I, I think there's no problem with clarifying, you know, when board members can vote. I think that this is really controlled by uh, due process considerations that are operate independently of what the board's rules say. Uh, in a quasi-judicial proceeding, um, you uh, cannot have somebody making a decision who was not present for the full, uh, who did not receive the full set of information presented by all the uh, parties and sides uh, in the controversy. So for example, if you were a judge in a court case uh, and you left the room during a part of the testimony, uh, that would be a problem for obvious reasons the, because the judge is expected to consider all the evidence that's presented when making their decision. I think it's a similar situation here. People may not think of this as like a courtroom, but when we're acting in a quasi-judicial capacity, we have to make a decision on the record and the entire record. And so if a board member, for whatever reason, uh, is not present for part of the uh, evidence and argument and material that's presented in the case, just doesn't hear it or receive it, um, then it's a due process problem if they're uh, voting on that on that uh, on that case. So I think that's the short story about that. But I I don't think there's any problem with clarifying that rules. I'm just uh, saying that whatever the rules say, we would we would have problems with getting reversed by the courts if we had pe people who are voting on things that they didn't uh, hear. Uh, did you want to add anything to that, Emily? No, agreed, and to the extent that that is what the comment was dealing with, was if someone would, wasn't at a hearing or did not hear the matter, that they wouldn't be entitled to vote on a resolution, which is what we do now. Again, that is the process. Um, person abstains if they were not um, at the hearing. We can certainly clarify that. Right. Uh, okay, very good. Uh, Ken Kellner. 
Uh, good morning, Mr. Chairman, members of the board. Um, before I begin, I just want to let you know some of my uh, background. I've lived in the county for about 30 years. I work for a federal agency. Um, I practice administrative law and, and taught it um, at uh, several local universities. And, uh, and so I'd like to speak to you about your visions today. Um, I support completely the rules regarding ex-party communications and um, ethics and those uh, other rule changes. However, um, I do have concerns about the proceedings regarding um, the hearings changes. Um, again, I'm speaking entirely in my personal capacity and not in connection with any, any organization that I am affiliated with. Um, I've taken a look at the two sets of rules, the previous and the new ones. And I think that the proposed rules regarding hearing, hearings is more difficult to follow. The current rules are quite clear um, with respect to what falls within a consent agenda and which matters may be decided without discussion in a single vote. The current rule lists specifically which may be included, such as adoption of planning board resolutions, approval of record plats, or to adopt a resolution that the board has already approved in substance. In the new proposed definition, the specificity is omitted. And instead, it has a summary hearing process, which as far as I can tell, is potentially unlimited in the subjects which the board may consider. A matter scheduled for summary hearing may be removed by a board member or the public or the staff. However, the current rules already provide that any person may request that a matter be severed from the consent agenda. I have never come across the term summary hearing in my years of practice. And given that no evidence is being proffered, no testimony would be given, and that action by the board under the rule may proceed even without discussion, I think hearing is a poor choice title. On this point, the explanation by the board for the use of a summary hearing process is to resolve matters for which there is no controversy or which there is no known opposition. Yet, neither the current rule nor the proposed rule itself includes a non-controversial requirement for eligibility for summary hearing much less any type of definition for the term controversial. Thus, it gives the appearance that the inclusion for summary consideration rests on what the board thinks rather than the public um, about what is controversial. Knowing of opposition or concerns is the whole point of the public process. Knowing would arise from having an actual hearing, not a summary hearing. Moreover, I'm concerned that the mere placing of a matter onto the summary agenda may create a perception that the board has already made a predetermination that a matter is not controversial. This may discourage public participation if there is a sense that an outcome is preordained. I recognize there is a practical need for your board to operate and utilize a consent agenda, which as you know is very, very common in the operation of state and administrative agencies and boards. One solution might be to define in the rule the criteria for consideration of a consent agenda. For example, it could include specifically minor site plan amendments, extension requests, pro forma adoptions of decisions that have already, been, already followed board adoption of a major policy. I am sure the board and its professional staff are much better able to develop and define such terms than me. I really think that this alternative is preferable to the new proposed rules under which the public must confront and differentiate between at least seven different types of intertwined proceedings, now including full hearing, public hearing, summary hearing, regular agenda, consent agenda, planning board meeting, and procedural matters. 
Thank you very much for your time and attention and for your service to Montgomery County. Thank you. Uh, Jerry Sushi, I have a kind of a comment, a question that came to my mind. Maybe our attorney can address it. This is uh, when we have a project comes before us for review and there's a consensus by say the developer and by staff that some things need to be changed. Uh, minor changes tweak and that is done by staff. They or you know they change something that the developer has to do or that we were requiring you may drop it. But then later someone comes back say the you know the director of planning comes back or one of the staff and says we we have made these changes as agreed to in the previous meeting to me does that fall under the consent agenda or does it have to go through a whole new hearing process and a little bit of what uh, was just presented in, in i'm not Monica. sure if you're talking about it if an amendment is filed or if it's the board approves a matter with conditions that have to be followed and complied with that um, but they, happens. they agree to the conditions and they agree to the conditions Condition. and that may include that before the certified site plan is done that they must make some changes that that would not need to come back to the board the board would have already said that was okay okay so that that's so that wouldn't even be on consent does not that have would to come be, back on the that wouldn't come agenda. back because right. it would say you must show 10 feet of landscaping on the revised plan you only showed eight the first time and so that would be a condition that then would be satisfied at certified plan okay and the staff uh, is the staff there a need for the that. staff or the director to then certify that that has been done Correct. in a subsequent hearing before the board or correct that wouldn't that would not be something that would require all right thank back. you Okay, uh, Laura Stewart. <clears throat> Hello. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Um, for the record, my name is Laura Stewart and I'm providing public comment today as an individual resident and not representing any of the organizations which I'm affiliated with. I usually don't provide public comment to this body but as an experience, an experience as an observer on June 18th, 2020, I've been motivated to do so today. In 2020, I watched many meetings on the subdivision staging policy update. Because much of my advocacy is on properly funding schools, I was watching the planning board proceedings carefully, which was somewhat new to me. At one point, the Greenfield policy changes were being discussed. In the middle of the staff recommendation um, policy review, um, Mr. Harris, who was representing a developer, started talking over a phone line. Then there was a discussion about a particular project in Clarksburg, which included um, Ms. Sears, another developer that was representing um, their client. This work session was on future revisions to the subdivision staging policy that would have taken effect. But Mr. Harris was there to discuss a project that was under the current subdivision staging policy. This was very confusing to me because a review of the then current SSP was not on the agenda. I did not see an opportunity before this policy review to provide public comment on this particular project for that SSP. 
The discussion continued and workarounds to a specific moratorium were discussed at length, yet this was not listed on the agenda. Um, I'd like to say I'm not um, going to discuss whether the moratorium should stay or go. That's a done deal. Um, we've moved on. But uh, I'm here to talk about the procedures as to how this particular meeting went. After this meeting, I reached out to the Clarksburg community and thanks to planning board staff, the community was able to speak at the next meeting. I bring this up because this particular instance shook my confidence in the impartiality of the planning board. As an infrequent observer, I was surprised that certain parties seemed to have a direct line to a policy discussion and were able to advocate for immediate change. Strong, clear rules and procedures that are followed in an impartial way not only protect citizens, it strengthens government entities. It also strengthens the chair's ability to do their job because they will be viewed as fair and even, in, even if particular parties don't agree with the ultimate decision. The rules that are under review today have nine instances in where the word discretion is used when it comes to the chair's responsibilities. I will highlight one that I admit did exist before this particular rule change, but I believe it could be strengthened. It says the chair has broad discretion to conduct meetings in a manner that provides inter interested persons notice of matters to be decided and the opportunity to be heard where applicable and to ensure the fair, orderly, and efficient administration of the planning board's duties. An alternate version that I believe should be considered is the chair will conduct meetings in a manner that provides all interested persons notice of matters to be decided and the opportunity to be heard. Unfortunately, I saw this agenda item yesterday morning because I am busy watching lots of bodies and did not have time to write written testimony. I suggest that a working group of community members come together in order to work collaboratively with the planning board to discuss these rules so that we can build bridges of trust and so that the planning board can move past controversies and do the very important and impactful work that is so desperately needed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, I think we've heard from everybody who's signed up to speak and I think that uh, uh, at least one or two of us need a little uh, break here, so we'll be back in a couple minutes.
Okay, we are back. Um, I had some thoughts and a proposal um, based uh, in part on just my own thinking about this over the last uh, week or two and also on, on reaction to some of what we just uh, heard, I think, uh, but I, I didn't want to um, jump in front of everybody. Um, my modification, I guess, concerns uh, what to call some of these categories of things you can sign up to testify on, things you can't sign up to testify on, and which I think may hopefully simplify and clarify uh, some of these issues. But uh, again, I didn't want to jump in front of the line. Does anybody have any questions or comments right off the bat? I had a, uh, just a comment based on the previous speaker, and I'm saying this in a... Um, I just, I just want to clarify a couple of things that were said, and I'm not trying to be defensive, and I'm trying to be respectful and understand that there are certain sentiments of the public that uh, are related to real concerns. So I don't want to put that aside. I just want to make it clear that no one has a direct line in the way it was described to the planning board, especially developers. I think that narrative, unfortunately, has been in the county, but we are always available to anyone that has a question or concern about any topic, as is our planning staff. And I think if you speak to anyone in the building, uh, they will uh, basically say the same thing. Uh, uh, Laura and I are friends, and she has my cell phone, and she texts me, and I text her. And so I think that's a good reflection of the kind of relationships we have in the community. But I, 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 just, I say that in the spirit of I think it's important to understand that words matter and that we're here to serve the public. And I know the rhetoric in the last few weeks has been a little bit heightened, but I just want to assure everyone that anytime you have an issue, uh, we are available. Going back to what was discussed in the, um, the context of the moratorium, Clarksburg, and the developer that was mentioned, you know, people will bring to the table uh, whatever their interests are, whoever they're representing. Just like um, people who are representing the PTA or, or live in a certain neighborhood have a certain issue that they're going to bring up as well, which was often brought up during the SSP and the, and the growth policy concerns. So I think we encourage everyone to, uh, you know, represent their views in good faith and provide feedback. And I hope with these new rules, we'll be able to have a better relationship and um, more importantly, more transparency and engagement. And... Um, that's my main comment. Okay. okay. Well, what I wanted to touch upon was the um, the suggestion that was made by Ms. Stewart regarding the will and all. Um, I, I think it's worth considering, and I'm, I'm curious as to what my colleagues think about that. I, I, I do think that it makes sense. Um, I, I actually agree that um, I like the language change that was proposed, uh, taking out the discretion but to will conduct the the, the meeting in that in that way I think it was uh, more specific and and with that um, I'd also a response to language that uh, Mr. Kellner raised yes um, I, I personally raise have a problem with the word non-controversial I don't think that it's um, I think it should be very specific as to what what will and will not be heard on the consent um, agenda uh, because I, I think that he's correct in that def using a term like non-controversial allows 
um, potentially for a, a misinterpretation. Well, that kind of brings me to my uh, proposal. But did Jerry, did you want to add anything no, or? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Chair, you know, before you uh -huh. say something, I just sure. wanted to ask also uh, the my colleagues, what about the working group? Um, in principle, I like the idea of well. In theory, I like the idea of the working group. I'm just not sure how that would be, how that would form, and what the extent of the involvement would be. Um, to Commissioner Verma's point, and I think we heard this from both the the correspondence we received as well as from all three um, individuals that testified. There's some concern regarding trust and the the trust of this entity as a board, but also the trust from the community. So um, I can see some benefit of the working group. Again, I'm still mulling over whether or not what that would look like and, and the extent of the involvement. And I'm curious as to what you guys think. I, I mean, I, I think I always like the idea of more public participation. I think part of the reason why we had this um, item on the agenda is so we could discuss it. And I think, you know, given the fact that so much of what we're doing is just really trying to clean up the process and we have legal counsel here who, you know, obviously has been working on this for a year. Uh, I, I think this is the opportunity for folks to provide feedback and I think we've gotten good feedback and I do think that maybe we can agree um, as, a, as a board and just, this is just an idea that we'll kind of do a check-in every, maybe annually to, to see where we are. And the public should be able to constantly provide feedback, you know, they can always email us and say, hey, this is something that we're noticing that needs to be tweaked. So maybe we can come up with a, a, a check, an annual check-in where we just check in with our legal counsel and say, okay, where are we at with the process? Has anything changed legislative-wise or within the, the board process? And do we need to revisit a certain provision for a particular reason? Well, yeah, I think um, as we've heard, it took many months to uh, get this to this point, and that's even, you know, even if you're talking about an internal review process, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, I also think uh, you'd have to acknowledge that, you know, when we have received input, uh, we have not hesitated to modify or consider, consider changes and make them, which is, you know, why we're making some additional changes in addition to the ones that were, have been uh, developed internally by the staff. You know, it's not as though we can't change the rules at any time. So my suggestion would be that we move forward with the the changes based on the input reviews from the staff and the public now. And if in three months or three years or 30 years somebody comes back and says, geez, I don't think this works or I think that there's, you know, additional changes that needs to be made, we can do that whenever... Uh, as the situation warrants. But I don't really see the benefit of dragging this out longer, especially considering it's, you know, everything that happens in government just takes a lot of time to work through process, and we're not short-circuiting anything by adopting some rules, to, you know, now uh, without foreclosing, in fact, inviting the possibility that we'll change the rules again in the short term, medium term, long term, whenever that becomes, uh, whenever that's appropriate or anybody raises any issues that they're concerned about. Um, um, if I can address yeah. that, I actually agree with Commissioner Verma. I think a regular check-in makes more sense than just leaving it open that anybody can comment. 
because what that does is when there's a specific time where something is, uh, people know that they can make their comments to to the rules. I think an annual check-in makes a lot lot of sense. It's on the it'll be on the agenda, and the rules will be published, and perhaps that uh, it would include, or it should include any comments that we've received over the the since the last check-in, uh, so that you know we don't get behind. This was a you know as as Ms. Vias indicated, that the rules had not been amend or really looked at since 2007. So I think if we do it on a regular basis with a known check-in, I think that works a lot better. Um, I don't think a, a working group makes a lot of sense at this point. I'd rather see how uh, the changes that, that we're, we're going to make um, uh, work out and uh, see, you know, in implementation how, how that works. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with checking in at a specific point in the future. I just wouldn't want to suggest that we can't make any changes until then. So uh, I think we sh perhaps we should say let's revisit this in a year, uh, but if there's issues before a year, we, we can't, we're not going to say, no, we're going to wait a year until we consider any Yeah, um, for the record, Gwen Wright, planning director, we can certainly help um, with the the board having some regular check-ins and looking at if things need to be tweaked. But in terms of the materials that are actually before you today, you got some interesting testimony uh, about um, uh, simplifying some of what staff has currently proposed. And I would be interested in the board's thoughts on that. Well, that yes, and that brings me to my proposal, which is, um, you know, Mr. Some of what Mr. Kellner said, I think, um, conflates two different concepts. One is the idea of what types of matters, what uh, magnitude of a change in an application or a proposal warrants uh, the opportunity for public testimony or a process which is more extensive or expansive than some other proposed modifications or proposals which warrant a truncated or streamlined uh, procedure. That's a little bit different than what is controversial or not controversial. And I think what he said was, well, you know, how do you, you know, what's controversial and what's not controversial? How do you define that? I think what we've done in what the staff's proposal does is to say the test of whether something is controversial is not whether it's a big change or a little change or a big application or a little application. It's whether or not anybody has indicated they have any interest in discussing it. So if nobody has signed up to testify and nobody has indicated at any stage of the process in any way that they have an issue with an application or a proposed modification, then it seems reasonable to say that's not controversial. So that seems to be the sort of theory underlying the, the proposals uh, that the staff is making to basically categorize different things uh, based on whether they have attracted interest from any member of the public uh, in any way. Whether they've said, hey, I don't, I, they sent us an email that said, I don't like this uh, proposal, or they've signed up to speak and said, I want to talk about this. Those would all trigger. Uh, the uh, process which would call for uh, 
discussion in front of the board, meaning that you can come in and make your case and the board will consider what you have to say and then make a decision as opposed to simply making the decision on the written materials that are submitted in the written staff report. So my proposal in light of that, which is I don't think at all inconsistent with anything that Mr. Kellner or anyone else said, but to, but to try to um, establish the basic idea that there is no uh, full hearing, partial hearing, summary hearing, consent hearing. There are just items that you can sign up to speak on and there are items you can't sign up to speak on. The items you can't sign up to speak on are ministerial actions, things like, uh, I think that Emily outlined what some of those are, things like uh, typically a record plat is not something you can sign up to testify on with some perhaps very unusual exceptions. Um, you can't sign up to testify uh, on a resolution. Uh, there are a few others. So those things are ministerial actions of the board that uh, you are simply not uh, things which uh, where public testimony is, is appropriate. They're very limited and they're very narrow. Then there is everything else. And I think what uh, Emily showed on the sign-up page is that we've already taken the step of having a live link so you can testify on anything that's on the consent agenda. So the only difference really between our previous practice and what we've done over the last few weeks is to just put the link there. It used to be that the sign-up page said anybody who wants to take an item off the consent agenda should send, uh, send us an email or call us up and we'll take it off. The difference now is you don't have to call us up or send an email, you can just click on the link and sign up to speak and then we'll automatically remove that from the consent agenda. So I think like one way to just dispense with a lot of uh, these uh, labels or categories of full hearing, consent hearing, summary hearing, etc., is to just uh, present on the sign-up page the list of items for which you can sign up to speak, which is basically everything except those very narrow ministerial uh, category of actions that I was referring to earlier. And everything else, you can sign up to speak. And if you sign, if anyone signs up to speak or registers any other objection any other way by uh, sending us an email or calling us on the phone, but the most straightforward one is to just sign up, click on the link and sign up to that's indicate that you want to uh, testify orally in person uh, or, or virtually on Microsoft Teams or on the phone, then uh, you'll be allowed to speak. And I think that, um, you know, many of these items like extension requests or uh, uh, minor amendments, those sort of things are not going to attract interest uh, or opposition. And so those can still be considered by the board without the need for an oral staff report or, or discussion, but they are on the record and they are hearing and anybody who wants to talk about them just has to sign up to testify and they'll be allowed to do that. Uh, if they don't, we can uh, consider the matter on the written record and just as we do now under the, under the consent calendar. 
So I hope that's clear. Um, I, I think in practice it'll be a lot more clear because then you don't have a bunch of different categories of things. You just have things you can sign up to speak on, things you can't sign up to speak on. If, if you uh, want to speak on any of the items for which that's uh, an available option, all you got to do is sign up and that they're not, items are not treated differently based on whether they're you know, consent items, whether they're major, they're minor, they're whatever. It's, you want to sign up to talk? We'll let you do that. And we're going to have a link that's literally right next to each item. So if you do want to sign up, you'll be able to click on that URL and it's going to send you to the page that allows you to input your information for speaking. Correct? Yeah, and I think that addresses Mr. Kellner's objection that, well, if you say something is a consent item, that implies the decision's already been made. So there's just a list of everything the planning board's going to consider, and we're not going to characterize those in any way as consent, not consent, a big deal, a little deal, a medium-sized deal. It's all uh, just items that we are going to be making decisions on that are in front of the board. And you can sign up to, t to uh, testify if you want to. Uh, if nobody signs up and it's not otherwise indicated opposition, we uh, can proceed on the basis that we can take the staff report and have a vote without extended discussion because nobody has indicated they have any objection or want to talk about it. And, and if I could just add, um, I think that's a really uh, good, more understandable simplification of our hearing process. I, I do want to just reiterate that everything has and will continue to be noticed and have a written staff report. So everything today that is on the what's today called the consent agenda and the other part of the agenda is noticed and has a written staff report. That will not change. We will continue that um, in this uh, suggestion that the chair has made. It just would perhaps offer more clarity that all items are available for public testimony and are inviting public testimony. Yeah, and I think that bears um, maybe underscoring. Um, I, I've heard some people say, oh, well, consent items, are, you know, how's the public supposed to know about these? They're noticed in exactly the same way as non-consent items. That's been true. That was true. That's true today. That was true last year. That'll be true based on whatever changes we make uh, in the next week or two, uh, usually that consists of things like postcards are sent, sent out to confronting and abutting property owners, uh, notices are sent out uh, to homeowners associations, et cetera. There's a whole set of processes for providing notice. That is not, that is not and has not been different for different types of uh, applications. So there's no difference in terms of the notice that's provided to the public and has not been any difference in the notice provided to the public for these different, it would have been treated as different categories of items for purposes of how the board deals with it on its agenda and the process that's used at our, at our uh, planning board hearings. Um, I do want to disagree a little bit with uh, Parthop. Um, he said nobody has a direct line to the planning board. I think I would say everyone has a direct line to the planning board just like everybody has a direct line to their county council member, other appointed elect officials, or at least they should. Um, and 
there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's that is part of what it means to run an open process. Uh, I've I've met with Laura Stewart. I've met with real estate developers one on one in various small groups. Uh, we welcome them to testify and participate in our public meetings. Um, that's all entirely appropriate and an important part of doing our jobs, getting providing uh, open opportunities for anybody to participate. And you know, I think that I understand that some people, when they see somebody like Mr. Harris come to a meeting that's about a countywide issue like the uh, SSP or the GIP, as we now uh, call it, I guess, and they want to talk about some specific issue like Clarksburg that they say, wait a minute, I didn't realize we we're going to be talking about Clarksburg. I thought we were talking about this countywide policy. I don't think that's really different than a PTA parent who lives in Silver Spring coming in because they're concerned about what's the implication of the, of the SSP or the GIP for the elementary school in their neighborhood. Well, that's my, uh, you know, Laura Stewart and I, are, our kids both went to Woodland. So if we're concerned about Woodland and we come in and testify or want to talk about What's the implication of this countywide policy for Woodland Elementary School? That's not really different than if uh, Mr. Harris comes in because his client's concerned about what's going on with the project in Clarksburg. I understand that some people uh, are, in some cases, concerned because they didn't realize there was an application in Clarksburg. They didn't realize that, you know, we're going to be talking about Woodland Elementary School and what's the implications for this countywide policy on this very specific case that they've never heard of, or it's not really the focus of the of the general uh, concern. But I don't think that there's uh, not only is there anything wrong with talking about those specific things. I think it's I don't see how it, it could be otherwise because everybody's going to come to the planning board and want to talk about how the general policies that we're adopting very often on a countywide basis are going to apply to the specifics of their um, situation. Um, and moreover, I think it's important to remember that many of our decisions are quasi-legislative, which puts us in the position of basically legislators, in which uh, it is expected and appropriate and healthy to allow for people to meet offline, uh, have communications with board members and staff that don't happen in the course of the public meeting, just like people go and have meetings with their county council members. Then there are other matters, which are quasi-judicial, where we're like judges, where it's not appropriate, and we, uh, people, it's not fair to the other parties in a contested case for the judge to be hearing from one side uh, and and not know what the content of that information is. And I think that's very, that's a difficult thing for uh, many people to really appreciate the difference between those two things. But it's, it's not only legally uh, appropriate to distinguish those, but in terms of the way that the government operates, it is uh, essential that there be two different sets of processes and rules and uh, scope of what's appropriate for uh, information to come to the decision makers uh, in those different kinds of, kinds of contexts. And I'd be happy to talk to anybody uh, who wants to discuss that, um, whether it's a member of the public or uh, anyone else, uh, if they're interested in getting into an extended discussion about that. 
So, so what I'm hearing, uh, Mr. Chairs, is taking instead of giving a label to the agenda, it's basically those things. There will be a sign up uh, button, if you would, for that would trigger if anyone wants to talk, you know, testify about something, or and there will be certain things that they will not. And I think the devil's in the details. I would limit those items that you that we are suggesting that you that the public cannot. Uh, testify about and that would be things like the adoption of resolutions because they would be have to be consistent with you know our our, our legal counsel makes a, a finding that that is consistent with the conditions that were approved at the at the uh, at the board hearing and then um, approval of minutes but I think everything else I'm looking at today's consent agenda for example uh, even the record plats are usually ministerial the staff is issuing a report and making a finding and asking the board to agree that it's consistent with the um, with the decision that was made in the resolution and I think that that's important because there are circumstances when perhaps somebody would challenge that I don't think it, it happens very often but it could happen and the same and I would I would be very hesitant to basically restrict the public from being able to to um, comment on that, and I think that that will take care of itself during the hearing because there will likely be no uh, no public response to it. And the same thing, even with extension requests, because there are times when a project has is going on and on, and perhaps the public doesn't see the need for a continued extension. Um, so I think we're what we would be doing is is significantly limiting. Or severely limiting those things where we're saying the public really doesn't have anything to say about. Uh, so we're talking about minutes, approval of minutes, and adoption of resolutions, and and other you know certain uh, briefings, uh, roundtable discussions, things like that. Yeah, you're right. That's an important point. Is that it's not that the public has nothing to say about it. It's just there's certain things where they don't get an opportunity to speak at the planning board because. We're getting a briefing, we're doing a work session, or just like the county council typically doesn't allow people to sign up to testify on, at, a, at a work session. Uh, they've already had their hearing. Their, when it comes time to uh, incorporate a briefing or some material that we received into some decision-making process, then we have public participation, but we don't necessarily have an opportunity for the public to speak when there's a, a briefing or a report or a, or a work session on a master plan or the like. Um, so yes, I think there's ministerial acts and then there are these sort of informational items where we uh, don't provide an opportunity to testify and I don't anticipate that we would. You know, before the pandemic, I used to let people come and speak at work sessions without the requirement to sign up in advance and even things like briefings. Um, I think that, um, it's my preference to err on the side of allowing people to talk, uh, but obviously uh, there's nothing irregular about the requiring people to sign up to speak 24 hours in advance. I think that's a process that's used uh, by the county council and a lot of other uh, legislative and administrative bodies, and you know, limiting uh, the ability to speak on things like informational items and ministerial items is likewise. Uh, uh, you know, conducive to the efficient uh, operation of the of the agency without 
uh, foreclosing anybody's yeah. opportunity to speak when it when an actual decision is about to be and, made. And we can organize the agendas such that there are these, as you were describing, the ministerial items, which would be limited to minutes, roundtable, and um, resolutions. Then there would be the public hearing listed for all of the regulatory items, some of which um, might be acted on uh, expeditiously on the record. Some may have a full oral staff report. And then there could be a third section of the agenda, which is not a public hearing, but is work sessions and briefings, which again will be listed on the agenda because they aren't a public hearing. But, um, you know, again, we can, I think, be flexible because there are times when we do work sessions and briefings that we have had some participation. So I think we could set up the agenda in those three sections. Yeah, okay. Um, so if um, I didn't want to foreclose any further discussion or proposals, but if it sounds like maybe we have some agreement on how to move forward, uh, including some of those other language changes we discussed earlier, I, that the chair yeah. will conduct the hearing? I think we do, but I, I think in light of what we heard earlier, um, I would love to see and, and, and like the public to see what changes are going to be made uh, before we actually take a vote on the and adopt those rules. Okay, so maybe we could ask um, Emily to uh, prepare some modifications to the draft that was uh, put up on the on the website I guess a, a week or ten days ago or whatever it was and uh, give people another week or so to uh, take a look and they can again they can email call us whenever they however they'd like to communicate with us uh, in the interim and then we'll put it back on the uh, agenda for uh, decision in a week or two. Chair, I, I want to make sure that we also included, and I think Ms. Vias, this was mentioned before we got into this lengthy discussion, um, the inquiry from the public regarding the um, attendance, and I think, Chair, you signed off on that. Did you catch that? That needs to be added as well? Okay, great. Don't know if we um, have an attendance requirement, but we certainly will add well, it's about a, voting. A participation. Right. Yeah, if, it's you're, ability if you're going to, to participate in the decision on a regulatory item, you have to be here for the complete re uh, presentation. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, that. just, uh, Jerry, just one last question. You talk about kind of uh, reviewing annually, and I would say that's a good method as well. But uh, maybe timing that to the budget cycle, and if you are proposing changes uh, in terms of resources, staff or otherwise, that might be a consideration to time it accordingly. I'm sorry, what was that, Jerry? I missed that. Oh, I'm just saying that if you were, you talked about a kind of an annual review internally, perhaps. And if you are proposing changes or need additional resources, you might kind of time it to the budget cycle and what we'd submit to the council and uh, obviously gain their support and that changes. Yeah, I think that syncs up because we're all about to go into a budget cycle. Sure. So right. maybe around about next March or so yep. would be the 
time to look but at it. But kind of, uh, you know, schedule that then in your process. Maybe if you don't have to do something, you don't, but it's an opportunity to advise the council what we might be doing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Very good. Uh, so I don't think we need to vote on that. We're going to send that back to the staff for some further work, and we'll be uh, looking at that again in another week or two. And with that, uh, we're adjourned.